Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast downloaded over three-quarters of a million times in over 160 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jules Savage, coming to you from Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. This is episode 259 of the Australian Hiker Podcast. And in this week's episode, we talk about considerations for setting up a tent for hiking and hopefully getting a good night's sleep from it. We hope you enjoy. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice so that each episode is available as soon as it's published. And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. When you first start hiking, there are so many things to consider, and often our focus is around things like gear selection, food, or how to go to the toilet on the trail. And while all these things are important, there are a number of other factors like getting a good night's sleep that come into play. This podcast discusses setting up your tent at the end of the day to help get the best out of your sleep that you possibly can. So to get the best out of this podcast, we recommend you follow along with the written article and have a look at the images, which will help to make this uh, make a bit more sense. Now, first up, I'll, I'll be honest here. I know how to set up a, a tent. I know how to choose a tent site. I know everything I need to know in relation to setting up the tent as best as I possibly can. Having said that, I don't always do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and I'll use as an example here, on my uh, South Coast track trip in Tasmania at the end of last year, uh, my last night on the trail, I spent probably 10 to 15 minutes working out exactly where the tent needed to go because it was a slightly uh, awkward sort of site. I virtually worked out the best lay for or best set up for the tent. And as I was setting up a tent, I proceeded to offset it by about 40 seconds. <laughs> 40 centimetres. That was the brain snap. Uh, and, you know, I ended up with the worst possible choice I could do, sloping to one side and sloping down towards my head. So, you know, I knew exactly where I needed to be and had I actually set it up the way that I planned to, it would have been much better. But for whatever reason, I chose not to. Well, I think sometimes you, we just fiddle a bit too much. You know, you get it to the right spot and you keep fiddling and then you don't step back and go, well, did I make that worse with that last fiddle? <laughs> yeah. So um, as I said, even though I know what to do, you don't always get it right. Now, for experienced hikers, typically they'll know what to look for without having to put too much thought into it. But for newer hikers, this is a skill that you need to learn in choosing a campsite and in setting up your tent to get everything as best as you possibly can. And the first thing you need to look at or first thing you need to do is test, test, test. Now, what we mean by this is the first time you set up your tent, whether it's a borrowed tent or a brand new tent, shouldn't be on trail on the first night of a, an extended multi-day or multi-week trip. You know, you do that, you leave yourself open for all sorts of issues. And if it's a really bad conditions, it's windy or it's raining, the last thing you want to be doing is fiddling around, trying to work out where all the bits go. 
So for us, we do a number of things to help make the process easier. You know, the first time we ever get a tent, we will set it up. And typically I'll do this inside. Now, obviously you can't put the pegs into the floor or get everything tight and, and, and organized as you possibly can. But it means you're, you know, if it's nighttime, you can get all the bits out. You can set it up in, the, in a room in the house. You can work out where all the bits go. You can put it away again. Uh, and it gives you a chance just to have a work out what the bits are and where they all go. Yeah, and the good thing is that uh, there are probably a couple of things. Um, one is that you're not battling the weather. Um, so if there's a slight breeze, um, that, that can impact uh, what you're doing. But also because you're indoors, it's pretty unlikely that you'll lose any bits. Yeah, so you, it gives you a chance. Now, if you're going to skip a step, this is possibly the one to skip it. But again, if you've got plenty of time and you're not – you haven't just gone and purchased a tent or picked up one from a friend and you're, and you're, you're travelling tomorrow morning sort of thing. Uh, but if that's the case, it may be this is the only time you do have to play with it. Uh, and, you know, this might be the only opportunity to actually test it out before you travel away. From there, what I'll tend to do, we, we actually don't have a grassy backyard in our in our. No, we house. don't do grass. Um, we do have bare soil, but it's not going to help. I'd rather set it up on a grassy area if we can. So I'll go down to a local park or go to go to a nearby reserve, which isn't that far away for us, and set up the tent in real life. So in that sort of instance, it gives us a chance to see what, uh, you know, get all the pegs in place, get it all set up. You know, you're out in a bit more in the open, so you've got a bit more wind and things to deal with. Uh, and it gives you a good opportunity to to really get everything put together and pegged into the ground. If you do have a backyard with a bit of grass, the ideal thing would be actually set it up in your backyard and go camping in your backyard as well. Now, worst case is if you get something horribly wrong, you can always go inside and kind of <laughs> bail. And bail and fix it tomorrow. <laughs> but it's better off doing that uh, at home than it is on, on trail when you've got to try and then resolve it. You know, it's nighttime, it's blowing a gale, it's raining, and you've got to try and sort your tent issues out. So doing a test beforehand really makes a difference. And the other thing that we tend to look at is doing a shakedown hike. And this is where you take all your gear, packed your tent, the whole lot, go for a hike somewhere, and it might only be 500 metres, a kilometre away, set up your tent, camp for the night, and make sure all your gear works. Now, for us, we tend to be using our tent on a regular basis. So it's at least two or three times a year, if not more than that. Uh, so we, we don't have to think about how we put it up and how it goes together. But if we do have extended periods uh, where we aren't camping and aren't using the tent, we will do a shakedown hike uh, just to make sure everything works together and we don't need to replace something or fix something before we go on a trip. Yeah, and we did it when uh, we got a new tent um, a little while ago now, but did a shakedown hike and <laughs> to be honest, I can only describe it as faffing about. We just took us ages to get that tent up and get settled and it wasn't particularly difficult uh, when I think about it. It wasn't particularly different to the previous tent. It just took us a long time um, and it was kind of funny in the end but, you know, it was like, oh, you know, do we do, we do, do we do, no, no, we'll – and it just took so long. Um, the second time that we did it when we were on a proper hike, it was fine but that first time was – just a mess. <laughs> now, in, in all fairness, we actually were testing out two tents at the time. The one, the new one which we'd bought, and we had another one for test as well. Uh, and we did have thirty kilometer an hour winds, which created a bit of challenge in putting it together. 
yeah. We were reasonably sheltered from <laughs> those those winds. Um, I, it, I, I don't think it was the wind. I just I think it was the focus. I don't know what it was. It was the brain snap. Yeah. Okay, so now you know how to set up your tent, whether it's in your backyard or somewhere in a grassy area in a park. Uh, now when you're out on trail, it's choosing a good site. And this is a skill that all hikers need to learn at some stage. And as I said, you don't always get it right. You might choose a good site and then proceed to put your tent up in the in, in the wrong spot in that site. So there's a couple of things to consider through here. If you're wild camping, and by wild camping we mean it means you're in a grassy area, you're in the middle of a national park, you're in bush, in areas you're allowed to camp and you're looking for somewhere to set up your tent and there is no designated tent sites. Uh, this means you're going to have to go looking uh, and it means you're going to have to try and work out where the best location is to put up your tent. Now, in those sort of circumstances, if I'm doing an extended hike and I'm setting up in a new site every night and it's, in a, in, and it's wild camping, I typically start looking for a tent site roughly around about 3.30 uh, because I try and start walking in the morning probably around about by 7.30, 8 at the latest. So I'll start looking at 3.30 and it might take me half hour, 40 minutes to find a site, but I'll be looking along the trail for sites that I can set my tent up in. Uh, sometimes it might take me 15 minutes, sometimes it might take me an hour to find a site that I'm really happy with. So it really does depend on the location. You want to find a, a site as flat as possible. And again, flat is a fairly arbitrary sort of term. Um, from my perspective, uh, I don't like having a slope either across the tent or along the length of the tent anything more than about 50 millimetres. Uh, anything more than that and you start fighting gravity uh, and start sliding down the tent or sliding across the tent. Now, there are some hacks that you can put in place to make sure your sleeping mats stay put, but then you've got to stay put on top of your sleeping mat in your sleeping bag, uh, and that's a hard one to do. Uh, so we both, when we both go camping, we've had occasions where we end up uh, typically, I'm on the downhill side, which means you know I only end up with my face pressed up against the wall of the tent. Oh, uh, boohoo! <laughs> and, <laughs> and Jill sort of is sleeping on top of me because she slid off her sleeping mat. <laughs> Seriously, I'm sure you make this stuff up. Um, what I would say is that you know you're in nature, so so you know looking for a. A, you know, no more than a 50 millimetre slope is a pretty difficult thing to do. So, you know, you do need to be a bit flexible in this and, and to kind of uh, think about um, the best possible site rather than the perfect site. And that is true. It's, you know, it's rare you're ever going to get absolutely perfect. There's going to be some compromises in most cases, but you can be lucky. So, as I said, we do show some images on the write-up of this uh, podcast. And one of the things I would say is you've got a number of considerations when you're looking at flat or flattish. Given a choice, I if I have to have a slope, I'll have my head uh, uphill and my feet downhill. Uh, even on a, a 40 or 50 mil slope, if I'm sleeping with my head down, I just end up getting a headache. 
uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely better to have your feet slide into the bottom of the tent if the slope's bad enough, rather than have your head slide. And again, it's just not comfortable. The same goes for a slope across the tent. Now, again, personal preference here. I don't really have an issue going left or right if I'm going to slide somewhere. Uh, and if I'm by myself, it's not much of an issue. But if there's two people in the tent, it's a matter of you know, who's going to sleep on the downhill side. Uh, and typically it will be me. Oh, it's not you. <laughs> I don't know where you get this from. <laughs> but typically I'm on your left and, and and I spend a lot of time pushed up against the side of that tent, let me tell you. <laughs> so, again, it's a matter of um, you'll have a a preference to how big a slope you want. And as I said, for me, it's around about 50 mils in any direction. And again, you might find less of a slope's an issue. You might find more of a slope you can cope with. Uh, so work out what it is and what you can cope with. Make the side as flat as you possibly can, and it, it will give you a much more comfortable sleep. Now, in setting up your campsite, you may have to do a bit of farming. And by farming, we mean mean you don't want to destroy the bush uh, you know, be pulling out shrubs and trees to try and get a clear site in place. Or mowing the grass. Or mowing the grass, yep, uh, which you can't do when you're out bush. So what that means is you want to try and pick a site that's flat and open where you don't have to destroy the, the environment to put your tent up or use sites that have been used by other campers in the past. Don't keep on creating more and more sites as you go. But you will probably have to remove any sharp sticks or rocks from underneath your footprint of your tent. So again, uh, the big obvious sticks are often the easy ones to find, but I'll typically work out where my site is and I'll tend to run the hands over where my tent's going to be sitting and identify some some rocks or sticks that are there. It's amazing how uh, small rocks or small sticks can poke into you uh, or, again, poke into your sleeping mat, and if it's an inflatable sleeping mat, that potentially can cause issues with leaks. Yeah, and likewise on the underside of the tent. Um, sometimes you can find, um, you know, a small freshly fallen branch um, that means that you might be able to sweep the site a little bit. So, you know, if it depends on the conditions and depends on the type of uh tent site that you're looking at, but um, clean it up a little bit. doesn't have to be perfect. Now, when we did the Larapinta Trail in 2016, uh, it is in most cases, not all, but in most cases, you're going to expect to have small rocks underneath your tent. Uh, And that's one of these instances where it's rare that I'll use a footprint, which is basically a, uh, a sheet of tent material that goes underneath your tent to provide a bit of extra protection. So, that's, a, that's probably the last time I've actually used a footprint for a tent. But it's it's one of those sort of things that you, you want to get rid of the big, obvious, sharp rocks. And again, some of the sites that tend to be used are very used very often and really obvious. Ensure you're protected from the elements. Now, if you're camping in open, windy conditions, similar to what you may find in the Australian Alps above tree level, you're going to be really exposed. So if you're camping on top of a hill, you will get blasted by winds and you may go to bed being fairly still and calm and wake up through the night and it's gale force winds battering you about. So you may not have an option. You know, if you, Again, if you're in above the tree line, uh, you may have to find some rocks to hide behind or you may actually have to sleep uh, partway down a slope where you do get protection at least from the prevailing winds. 
Uh, and that's often a hard thing to go through and pick, but it may be that that's what you need to go through and do. The other thing that I'd also mention, and this, while this isn't as major an issue in Australia, it's still a consideration, is try to avoid where you can camping out on the open grassy plains in the middle of a lightning storm. Um, <laughs> there have been instances in Australia where hikers and campers have been killed uh, because they're the tallest things around and they've been struck by lightning. Uh, it's not that common compared to some of the European countries and, and the US, but it does happen. I have been camping in Kosciuszko, and it was, again, it was on the uh, the lead up to Mount Kosciuszko, and it was near Siemens Hut. And you are supposed to actually camp away from Siemens Hut, but I ended up putting my tent virtually right up against the side of the the, uh, the, the hut itself because I had a large lightning and thunderstorm rolling in, and I needed to be... I had two choices, I suppose. One was to sleep inside. The other one was to sleep in the tent. And I put my tent up close to the building, so it was the most obvious thing around. The storm moved through fairly quickly, but there was lightning and thunder going on for a sort of 15, 20 minutes that passed through the area that I was in. Uh, so always a consideration, particularly when you are camping above treeline. Once you're down into the forested areas, not so much of a problem. The other thing is how secluded is it? Now, if you're camping in a remote area and you're by yourself, you really probably don't have to think much about having other campers around. But if you're camping in a group of people, do you want to be have your tent set up a metre or two metres away from the person next to you? And sometimes you may not have a choice. Sometimes there might be such a limit for campsites uh, that you've all got to camp in a fairly confined, tight sort of area but if you've got the ability to spread yourself apart, give yourself a bit of space, maybe even camp 10 or 15 metres away from each other. Uh, I'll be honest, I do snore, particularly when I'm tired. Uh, so I'd rather give really? other people a bit of space. Uh, <laughs> I don't get the space, though. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I'd rather get the space uh, and give people a bit of privacy. Um, and, and, again, I as much as I snore, I don't like hearing other people snore either. So, <laughs> so a double standard here, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, so, yeah, again, think about where the site happens to be. What are the views like? Now, sometimes it might be, well, if I go and move over there by 20 or 30 metres, I get a view out into a nice open bay or down into the valley. Uh, and, you know, you may not think about that, but don't necessarily choose the site you first come across. There might be some options that are better. And the other thing is look up and look around. Now, we recently uh, released a written article on widow makers, and these are trees that tend to fall over or drop limbs. Uh, so you don't want to camp underneath a large dead tree which has really weak-looking limbs on it. You get a rainstorm and those things will come down, and if you're underneath them, you're going to get injured at, at, at best uh, and, and potentially even worse. So, um, again, it's a matter of pick your, pick your sites, and this comes back to Larapinta Trail. When we were camping at the start of the trail uh, at the base of Mount Sonda, there was a big dead tree on the camp, near the campsite or at the campsite, and uh, we did see people camp underneath it, but we proceeded to have 70 and 80-kilometre-hour winds on that first night, and at some point that tree is going to go over. Uh, so we made sure we camped away from it. Now, the other thing to think about, we've been talking about wild camping, 
But then we also need to factor in when you're in designated campsites. And this might be you've got a, a site. So as an example, on the Great Ocean Walk in Victoria, which we did last year, uh, there were designated sites. And we came into the campsite and there were a number of flat areas and we just had to pick one. Don't necessarily pick the first one you see. I, I do like getting into camp early if I can. Uh, so we've got the pick of the sites and looking around to see what's there. So we did part of the the Cape, Cape track in Western Australia a few months ago and we got into camp probably about 15, 20 minutes before most other people and we had a chance to have a look around and we picked what we thought was the best campsite that was available to put our tent up. Um, there were some very badly sloping sites uh, that were available but they just weren't worth it. So we, we picked the best choice that we could possibly get. And it also had a bit of privacy as well. Now, all of these factors will contribute to what tent site you choose and really are a highly personal thing. As Jill said at the start of this, you may not get the perfect flat site, but as a trade-off, you might get really good views, a bit of seclusion, a bit of privacy. You're getting a bit of protection from the wind. And that might be where you, you uh, give up a bit of flat on the flatness underneath the tent to pick up a number of other things. Which factors you prioritise is going to be up to you as an individual and it's going to be where you choose to go to from there. Now, the other thing with uh, designated campsites and something which isn't as common is tent platforms. These are large timber platforms where you set up your tent uh, and you do need to be a bit creative. Uh, the ones in Tasmania will often have wires and pulley systems to attach your tent to. But most of the ones I've seen, particularly in New South Wales, are just flat uh, timber, almost like a small deck. And you need to be able to somehow secure your tent. And if that's the case, I will often take a couple of uh, bl uh, blizzard slash sand tent pegs. And they tend to, you can wedge those in between the gaps in the timber. Uh, and they act just like they are. They're tent pegs and they work just like tent pegs. And it means you can actually get your tent set up. Yeah, and I think that the, that word about being creative is is quite important uh, when you are camping on tent platforms because um, it, it's you know it's another version of putting your tent up uh, essentially, and you have to make sure uh, that it's as um, suitable and firm once you've finally got it up uh, as you possibly can. Now, we talked about wind and exposed areas, but just to take that a bit further, um, you can either camp on the military crest of the hill. So rather than camping on the very top of the hill, which is open and exposed, camping just off that crest, as long as you can find a flat spot, uh, gives you a bit of protection from the prevailing winds. And the other thing you need to consider is how you actually set your, set your tent up. Most tents will either ha uh, be a narrow, thin shape, a tunnel sort of shape, or they'll be a more of a rounded dome sort of shape. That's pretty much what's common these days. But you want to have the most narrow part of the tent facing into the prevailing winds, particularly if that's the strongest part of the winds. Um, so if you turn a tent sideways and put the big broad side facing into the wind, it means it's going to pick it up and, and, and be quite... Uh, buffeting inside your tent. So again, have a look at and work out which is the narrow end of the tent. And in, in the case of our current tent, we've got two narrow ends, which is similar, but one of the ends, which is where the head goes, also has an additional pole uh, section. 
that means it's got a bit of extra strength and you want to use the additional tie-off points that come with most tents uh, in windy conditions. Uh, and choosing the right tent pegs to anchor your tent, particularly if you are expecting the strong winds, is really important. And we do have links to uh, written articles that talk about choosing the right tent pegs. Yeah, and the the interesting thing about the wind is it can change overnight. So that's the other tricky thing about it, that you might set your tent up uh, so it's absolutely perfectly positioned. Um, and we have done this, you know, we figure that we've done a great job and then halfway through the night the direction of the wind changes and you do end up with a bit of buffeting. But there's not much you can do about that. It is what it is and, uh, you know, you can't really anticipate that kind of, you know, significant change in direction. Now, the last major consideration I think of here is keep it tight. And by that, I mean you want to make sure that you don't have loose bits of material hanging off your tent or you haven't actually stretched your tent out properly and the tent is is uh, uh, floppy, for want of a better term, uh, and again, if it's windy, you'll get a lot of movement in the material, which is potentially going to increase uh, a tear if it's really bad. And it also means that you're likely to get more condensation in the tent where you're getting in the inner and the outer uh, pushed up against each other. Now, if it's windy, that's less of an issue, uh, but certainly uh, you don't want to go through and have uh, your tent really loose. Now, this is more of a consideration with tents uh, that don't have poles that where you use tracking poles to set them up. And if you don't get that well, those sort of tents right, or if you're using a tarp, uh, you need to have them uh, stretched firmly as best as you can. Now, there's an image in my uh, write-up of this, uh, this topic, and what you want to try and do with most modern-style uh, fiberglass pole tents is to get the corners pegged out firmly without you know, reefing them really tight, uh, and that way the rest of the tent will follow. In taking photos for the, the write-up, I actually hadn't realised that it was really difficult with my tent to actually set it up incorrectly. Get it wrong? <laughs> to get it wrong, yeah. It's um, the way the tent was structured and built. You know, it was really noticeable and really obvious that I'd made a mistake to do it. You're not going to do it accidentally. You've got to be, you know, in the case of this tent, you've got to be deliberately trying. And I think a lot of modern tents are like that. If they've got that uh, fiberglass pole structure on them, they tend to stretch themselves out fairly well. But as I said, tracking pole tents or tarps are a bit easier to get it wrong if you like. But yeah, you want to have your tent firm. And again, if it's windy, you want to use all the additional guy ropes. Now, one thing to note here is most tents, when you purchase them, will have enough tent pegs to do the minimum setup, but they may not have enough pegs to do the additional guy ropes that do come with the tents. So you may have to add a couple of extra pegs into your pack uh, just to take that into consideration. And certainly from my case, I always do carry a couple of pegs that do cater for heavier winds just in case. Now, I suppose to finish off here, choosing the best tent site and setting up your tent properly really is the key to creating the best possible circumstances for a good night's sleep. Now, there are other factors that affect sleep. If you're getting wet, if you're cold because you haven't got the appropriate uh, sleeping gear or clothing, uh, if you uh, 
you know, haven't eaten enough, so you, you, you're hungry, all those sort of things are going to Or you've eaten too much. Or you've eaten too much, <laughs> yeah. All those sort of things that are going to contribute to poor night sleeps. One thing we've mentioned previously, there is a thing called first night syndrome, and this doesn't apply just to camping. But if you think about when you go and stay in a hotel for uh, a night, you don't always get a good sleep like you would do at home. And this is because you're in an unfamiliar situation and you mentally aren't geared for getting a good night's sleep. Normally, second and third night after that, things tend to settle down. Really? But yeah, <laughs> yeah this is where you, you, you do get better sleep on the second and third night than you will on the first. Okay. Okay, Tim. <laughs> As I said... I, even though I know what to do, I still do get it wrong. I have a brain snap and I make the wrong choice. And you do pay the price. Uh, you know, you, you, by making mistakes, you learn. Uh, doesn't mean always, it doesn't mean you learn well. I mean, as I said, I forget. Uh, but yeah, if you set up your tent and thinking, why didn't I sleep well? What was wrong? You can improve it for the next time. As I said, if you're doing this for the first time or using a tent particularly for the first time, I do like setting up my tent in when it's still light. So that way I can get set up, I can cook dinner, even if it's just still light or getting dark. I tend to be a an early eater and it's not unusual for me to have dinner at 4, 4.30 or 5 because I'd, I'd rather not you know, wander around for a couple of hours and then have dinner. I prefer to have dinner and go to bed fairly early. If you are new to overnight camping, aim to sit up early and this will reduce a lot of the anxiety and make your task that much easier, uh, particularly if you're not comfortable with your equipment on trail. The more experience you gain, the better your campsite choice will be and the more you enjoy your adventure. And after all, that's what we're here for. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. We hope you've enjoyed. Bye for now. And bye from me. (laughs) 